Hello, my name is Richard Cox and I'm here again with Tim Free today and today we're going to be talking about gurus. I'm going to be asking Tim all about the concept of the guru. So, good morning Tim. Good morning. What's your, um, well no, we'll start off actually, if you could maybe explain the what a guru is, what the, the, the name means, the culture it comes from, all that kind of thing. Uh, well, it's an Indian term um, and really just means a teacher uh, and it, and in one way, it's, it's a very open term um, because it's someone, translations usually is take, somebody takes them from darkness to light or from ignorance to knowing. <clears throat> so it's any teacher. You know, you can, have a, you can be someone who teaches you music. You can teach you anything. Um, but it takes on a particular connotation, especially here in the West, because we've imported a theological view of the guru. And that's... Uh, a particular t um, way of seeing a teacher which is developed um, in Hinduism, various forms of Hinduism and Buddhism as well, where the teacher plays a very particular role in the scene in a, in a very particular way which is very attractive and also potentially dangerous I think or, or yeah dangerous actually. And, and can easily become cultish, and we've seen a, seen a lot of that. Is it particular to the, you say, the Buddhist tradition also? So the figure of the guru in the Hindu tradition, is it comparable to, like, Zen masters or Tibetan talkers or Christian saints or not comparable? Or... Yeah, really good question. I mean, I think the, the, the saints are quirky and odd and all different, and, and, and it's, you know, it's not a theological thing. The saint is a, is a figure who is really powerful, particularly after death, I always feel. Mm -hmm. It's someone, you know, it becomes a, a vehicle for, between you and God after death. And it's a human face again. The guru is, is right here right now. So in the West, we've, the, 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 we have one guru, and that's Jesus. And he carries the whole thing. He is God incarnate, and we go to God through him. In the, in the East, there's this idea that um, we can all be, uh, that and that the guru represents the person or is the person who is um, a, a clear vehicle to God. So you see in, in the, the, this particular type of the, the guru tradition, the guru is God. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing, um, you know, which is quite heretical in the West because only Jesus is God. But in the East, now the guru is God because he is fully realized, he is one with the divine, and he's a vehicle through which you can reach to God. And so he's carrying the, uh, your, the, the sat guru, the true guru, the true teacher, who isn't a person really. The true teacher is, is the, the, the deep self of all of us, but it speaks through this teacher. So it's a lovely idea which means that you can worship God through the guru. So you literally surrender your, yourself to God through your guru. And if you're, you know, your guru is this pure being, and, and it has huge advantages because in some of those traditions, uh, it's about trying to unpick you from your limitations. So in lots of them, that's the ego, the separate self, which is holding you back and it resists and the guru is someone you trust so you trust them to turn around and go woof right and you have to do what they say so the most comparable thing with that would be the monastic tradition say like in where i am in glasgow we had benedictine monasteries and there you you you, you promise obedience 
to the abbot, again, for the same thing. He will look after your spiritual well-being and he will tell you, no, you need to go and wash vegetables for five years and that will be good for you. Even you're going, no, no, it's not my destiny. It's like, yeah, you go do that because you surrender to your to the person who is spiritually more able to cut through. That's on the good side, of course. On the other side is fraught with all of the dangers that come with any form of power. And this is an absolute form of power because it's, a, it's divine power. And therefore, it's absolutely dangerous, especially in a culture. Well, actually, in both cultures, I, w I was going to say, especially for us. But I'm not sure that's true. Well, I think what, what's been your um, personal experience of it? Is there ever a time where you considered you had a guru or did you ever aspire to be a guru? Is that... <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I never aspired to be a guru um, and still don't. In fact, it, it, the opposite. Um, uh, you know, partly because I, I don't know that there's all sorts of reasons I don't aspire to be a guru. One is I don't think it's the model for the future, which we may get a chance to talk about. I think that it, it's one we need to leave behind. I think it's an outdated model. Secondly, I don't feel if it was the right model that I could fulfill that role because I'm not uh, certainly don't feel of my, myself as this channel of ultimate wisdom. And thirdly, it all sounds like an awful lot of responsibility, which I'm not sure I want to take on, because one of the plus sides of the guru figure is that ideally the guru, you know, is a father figure or a mother figure for the aspirant. So it's a mentor. And I've had mentors who've been wonderful, mm -hmm. just wonderful people I trust who can guide me through and play that role. So it's a real, it, you know, that's that's the benign figure. Of course, once it, once it becomes huge, um, then there's no direct relationship. So I did have a guru and he was hugely important to me. I was very young. Uh, it was um, a guru had, which many, many Western people my age got involved in because he was very popular. Um, his name was um, Prem Pal Singh Rawat, but he was known as Maharaji or Maharaji, which is a traditional name, means great king. Um, and this guru was very interesting. You know, it was a whole, because this guru, he was very young. He'd become a guru incredibly young, like eight or nine. Um, uh, with the death of his father, he was an exceptional young man. He talked to 250,000 people by the time he was, you know, again, really young. And when I met him, he was a little bit older than me, and I was in my early teens, or no, middle teens, middle late teens. And uh, he's Indian. <coughs> um, uh, and what was interesting about that was it, it really c captured my that spiritual romanticism, mm -hmm. which lots of us are prone to it. I'm certainly prone to it or have been. So he came across, well, I'll tell you the story. The magic happened. That's the odd thing. Even though now I need to put the spoiler in, uh, spoiler alert in now to go that, honestly, you know, I don't think it was, uh, I, I left this feeling I'd learned a lot. I was really pleased I was out and I'm, I wouldn't encourage anyone to get in. Um, also, and the, but a real genuine magic happened because that's the way life is. It, the magic doesn't always feel like it's, um, only for these guys and not, it happens. So, <clears throat> I mean, the, the very start of it was being on a, um, a, 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 a drama weekend, local Somerset drama I was invited to go and be part of as a kid. On this weekend, I'm sitting there and I'm in, and I'm, and I'm praying really, I'm just meditating and I'm thinking, oh God, I wish I'd been alive when Jesus was alive. Uh, that would be the best thing ever, 
You know, it's like, well, here I am in Somerset in 2019 or whatever it was, 70-something. And it's like, well, I really, well, if only I'd been with, you know, if you could meet Jesus, that would be, you know, then it would all make sense. And and uh, a friend of mine who was a little bit older than me and had an older brother who was involved with Maraji, um, just came up at that weekend and gave me a book called Who is Guru Maraji? And there was this little boy and there was a whole load of people going, this is like, he's Jesus, come again. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> And off I went, you know, to find out this guy who was Jesus come again. Not just Jesus come again, but Muhammad come again and Kram come again and Krishna come again. Because in that particular Hindu tradition, there is always a perfect master, the perfect guru, mm. the God guru. And he reincarnates and comes back and rescues his people. And, and this time, this young boy had come and declared, I've come and I'm going to bring peace to the world. Well, I was a young teenager and there was a young boy saying, I'm going to bring peace to the world. I was like, wow, really? Fantastic. And I'm going to give you this gnosis, this, what you can call it gnosis, this knowledge, this meditation, and you will receive this knowledge. Well, I've already had the experience of the knowledge. Um, I didn't think of it in those terms necessarily, but I had. And, and when I was 12 and I had a spontaneous awakening, so I was look, I, you know, it really rang for me. It's like, oh yeah, this is it. This is what I've been, you know, called to. This is the, so I, I became involved in him, and, and I mean, wow, that's a huge story because it lasted some time, and, and in fact, I had two episodes. I, I, I went away and I came back. So was uh, there, because um, I noticed, like, if, if someone reads the kind of books you wrote in the 90s, say, and then only a few years later, around a 2000 time time, when you're writing The, the Laughing of Jesus, there's this real shift in how you write about gurus and the maybe the reverence of which you treat the Eastern traditions, yeah. And some of the, the sacred cows and that decreases over the years. So was there a, um, a paradigm shifting moment for you or was it a gradual accumulation of doubt um, as to the specialness? Yeah, that's such a great question, Richard. I mean, the, I mean, the break with Miraji came in my, my mid-twenties. So that had been well and truly done before I was writing anything. Um, I think I... I think what happened was that was I felt, oh, I'd broken with this particular guru. Mm -hmm. And this particular guru had not lived up to my expectations. This, and, and I saw it as, as incredibly cultish, which it was. Um, incredible. I mean, I, I, you know, I do think being a member of a cult for a, for a time is a good thing. <laughs> um, providing you, you know, going in is fine as long as you come out. Mm. Um, because you do understand things about yourself. I understood about, you know, the way that I was prone to to be taken in by this kind of mm -hmm. negative romanticism. And I was interested, I was, I, was, I was interested that I had to work at it. It's a bit like, you know, people who become addicts of things like heroin and things like you, or, 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 or even tobacco and things, you know, you, you don't just become one, you kind of have to want to almost, you have to work at it. And it was kind of the same with Miraji. I saw all these other people in love with him. And I went to, to the very first satsang um, that I heard, that I heard, to hear people talk about him. And I'll never forget it, sitting in this room, it was all very odd. We were drinking weird tea. It was Earl Grey tea, but that seemed weird at the time. You know, it's like the, there was no chairs. It was all on the floor. I was a kid from Yeovil in Somerset. And, and, and everything was painted white. <laughs> and there was incense. And then this picture of this fat, uh, a really overweight, young Indian boy with a bow tie looking completely naff. And all of these people underneath going, but he, he's my Lord, he's God, I just love him so much, he's my Lord. And I'm there thinking, he's just ripping you off. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't immediately in, I just thought, 
this is incredible. He's rolling, going around in Rolls Royces and, you know, and jets and living the life of, you know, of massive affluence. And, and none of you seem concerned about this and, <clears throat> and just worshipping him. And yet there was part of me that wanted what they had. Mm. And I had to, you know, I had to will, I mean, the first time I saw him, I had to will myself into that state of devotion that I could see everyone in because I wanted it. And then once I was in, then it was easy. And then it would, then just to see him would bring tears to my eyes and my heart would open and I'd feel amazing. And, and I, so I understand how people can be the same in a fundamentalist Christian group going, oh, Jesus is touching me because I've been there. I know what it's like. Or even watching Adolf Hitler, how women can be, you know, look, crying and going, oh, he's so amazing. There is a particular, it opens you up to see a certain cultishness that exists right across the board. That didn't answer your question, but hopefully it was interesting. Oh, it was, yes. The, the moment of whether there was a transition moment. A yeah, a growing delusion or was yeah, a moment. That... I, think, uh, I think what happened um, really, Richard, probably was the writing, we're doing the work on the Jesus mysteries and unpacking Christianity made me realise how I needed to unpack everything. Mm -hmm. So I was willing to go back to the East then and go, hang on, I've just taken a lot of this on face value. I've just seen it as exotic and, and wise and, you know, I, 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 and that kind of credibility. So, you know, a different way I can remember, I, I would read books about Indian gurus like Neem Kroli Baba or, or um, reading the stories of um, the other guy who I want to quote, who I can't think of his name, autobiography of a yogi, Yogananda. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, full of these amazing stories. And what was in, what's interesting to me in retrospect, I just believed them all. I just I just just believed them. And and there was I. But as I was writing books, going, "Hey guys, we're reading the Bible, <clears throat> and we're just believing it. Why are we doing that? Why aren't we questioning it?" Then it, it suddenly it was like, "Oh, but I'm reading these books. And I'm just believing it. Isn't that interesting? It's showing me more about me, because really I shouldn't be just believing that. I should be being open-minded about it. I should. Oh, that's interesting." Could that be true or, or not? And then as the decades have gone by and I've been involved in spirituality, I've seen the level of dishonesty which exists uh, and I've seen the level of kind of benign dishonesty, a kind of a, a, a way in which we fool ourselves and each other mm -hmm. to believe things we want to believe and which make us feel good uh, so that we play a game with each other. Um, we don't question our uh, question things ourselves. We don't question others. We take things on face value. And if things feel like, you know, the world can be very scary and very cold and very bleak. So if someone comes along with something which sounds miraculous and sweet and lovely, it's like, yeah, I want some of that. And I and that and I've been there. I know what that's like. Um, but as I've got older, I felt like, no, we need something deeper than that. We need something which is more substantial, and that means clearing away that kind of more childlike um, so what's your view on this now for 21st century spirituality in terms of the role of the guru do you see it as a relic that needs to be uh discarded or is there a, a, a baby in the bathwater <clears throat> that can be preserved in terms of the effect <clears throat> a guru can have on someone you know really richard my only issue probably with anything well, that's crazy my issue around these type of things is only with absolutism mm -hmm. and it's because of um, you know I'm such a paralogical thinker absolutism is the one thing which goes no that's not the way to go so I have no problem with wise people <laughs> we need as many wise people we can get 
I am full of admiration for those people who are willing to play a role to mentor people, and I do some of that myself, um, because you're really, you know, but I do think that can only be done in small groups, and I think it's a very precious thing that happens between individuals, and it needs to be handled very, very carefully, and I'm, I'm grateful that my mentors m- mentored me really well. You know, I, and I'm, I mean, for example, what I'm, you know, they're, 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 I'm thinking of a, there was a gentleman called Brother Bernard who was a Franciscan friar, he ran the monastery, the, the friary I ran away to when I was 15 and ran away to again when I was 24 and stayed there. Um, and I, he became a very close friend and, a, and, he, and he was my mentor. And what was interesting about the way he mentored was it was never absolute. He never told me the way it was. He, but he was quite willing to point out to me when he thought I was losing the, the way. It didn't do me much good, actually, at the time. I mean, I remember he was the, you know, I'm, I'm going to mention this to you before, but he was the guy who... When I was opening up to Advaita through having gone to, again, a guru actually rejected Sai Baba at his ashram, there's a whole other story, I'm just thinking, this is that guru thing again, it's horrendous. And then finding somebody who was <clears throat> interactive, like a philosopher in Ramesh Balsakar, and discovering the depth of Advaita. At that moment, you know, Bernard was there going, mm, you know, I'm not sure about that. I think the personal really matters. Mm, and right. I'm thinking, oh, Bernard, you've missed the point completely. Right, you yeah. just don't get it, do you? You just don't get it. All these years later, I'm there, oh, Bernard, thank you so much. You planted that seed which rescued me from getting lost in the absolutism of Veda and pulled me back to something else which you could see and I couldn't see. And that's a, you know, that, so that role is great. What we don't want is somebody who's, we don't want a pope who's infallible. We don't want a guru who's infallible. We don't want science which is infallible. <clears throat> we want well-meaning people sharing their wisdom so that others can take what works and leave it and change their mind and go, mm, I've, I've grown out of that, I've moved on. Or, and, and so we have a healthy dialogue where we give each other as much as we can and we give each other respect um, without getting caught in anything absolute. And, the, and that's the problem with elevating someone to Godhead, it's the problem with channeling, it's the problem with anything which is absolute, mm-hmm. is going to be, is, is dangerous, and, and it's not just dangerous because it misleads, although it does, because it's not true, actually, but, and that's a major issue, but, but also because what needs to happen for us is we need to become empowered as individuals mm. with our own gnosis, our own knowledge, so we need gurus who want to lose their job. You know, we need, and which is why to me, if you're looking at a teacher, the mistake is to look at the teacher, but that's what you look at. You look at the teacher and he's so wonderful. It's like, the teacher's irrelevant. Look at the, look at the students. If he's claiming to be, you know, if you have an enlightened teacher who claims enlightenment, which I think is a, is a, is a fraud to start off with, then... My advice would be, don't look at the teacher, Ask, look around and go, how many students are also enlightened? And then look at them. Because if they haven't got any, they're not a good teacher, are they? You know, it's all not, not right. So the answer, I've covered a few bit of other points as well here. But So the point, I think, is, look, absolutism. That's the issue. That's the root for me. Lose that, and all of this can be healthy. Well, thanks for that, Tim. Just before we finish, I'd just like to ask you about a film we were talking about some time ago. We both saw around the same time. Um, and you know what's coming. It's the uh, <laughs> I do, I Kumare do. film by Vikram Gandhi. 
Um, I'll just give a narrative of that yeah. for the audience. So it's a, a film made by a young Indian-American man. Um, his parents had emigrated from India to the United States and he'd really rejected the uh, Hindu culture and wanted to go really westernized. And then when he went to college, a lot of his Western friends got into yoga and meditation and started following gurus. And he kind of came around a bit to the, the virtues of yoga and meditation, but was very cynical about the gurus. Um, and he went to India to visit some of them, but he was convinced that the kind of spiritual experiences people were having were coming from within them and not from the gurus. So, so to test the theory, he made a documentary film faking being a guru where he, he grew his hair long and a big beard and practiced yoga and got this ridiculous staff with an om symbol on the top and set himself up in a small town I think it was in Arizona to um to see if he could get any followers anyone to believe that he was this divine incarnation um and then really unexpected and profound things happened in terms of the not only did he get followers but he started to have this really magical impact on some of their lives and transformative um and the film's available online so we'll put, we'll put a link in below but what, what was your what your take on that tim what what, did, what are your feelings after what i loved the film i saw it at the science and non-duality conference twice and uh, bought it and wanted to share it with films i love the film um but not just because of you know as a as a, as a guru cynic um i love the film because there was a kindness in it actually mm. and 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 what it was showing was what was interesting was that the 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 filmmaker not only did magic happen around him but he liked himself mm. he became this wise person let me tell you a little thing that happened that always stuck in my mind i remember when i went to see uh, ramdas i went on a five day retreat in my 20s with ramdas and in one of the breaks about 500 of us were there and there were some kids quite young and they were messing about and we were all like having food and I was, but I'd come back in to meditate and the kids were playing around on the stage and they started, and one of them said, let's play gurus. And one of them would sit in Ram Dass's chair and the others would ask that one questions and that one would answer the question and then they'd swap. What was absolutely mind blowing was that whoever sat in the guru chair became wise. And these kids were just amazing. And, 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 and I think that's the thing that gets me. It's like, look, what, what happened was that everyone around the filmmaker gave him permission to have that effect on them. I feel a bit like that when I do run my events. It's like, it's a real privilege. I, don't, I try and not go for the, the, the fakery. Mm. <laughs> I try and be really, really honest and, and myself. But I also, I know that everyone gives me this opportunity to be the best Tim and the energy and that's wonderful and i can find this depth in me where i can represent this deepest wisdom and we can share in it and i can interact in it and it's a beautiful experience for everyone he was doing that also but with this game going on but the real thing is underneath the game so my feeling what the sh what it showed was look just get rid of the game now mm. the issue is it, it takes a certain level of maturity and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, just in the way we always use the word, you know, we mature in different places at different times, to see that. Because to begin with, we're much more attracted. You know, if someone comes into town here and he goes, like, I'm a fully enlightened being and da-da, and there's a whole entourage and they're dressed in white and a funny hat and they're called something, you know, it's like, whoosh, big crowd. <laughs> because we're drawn to that. 
so it takes a certain maturity before you people get to the point where they're not and for me you know <laughs> in that area i definitely feel i've matured and there's plenty of places i'm sure i haven't but there it's like if somebody comes and goes there's like, i'm just not interested just not interested seen too many now if there's somebody who is has humility and wisdom and um, perception that they're willing to share and uh, that I respect, wow, you know, I want to hear that person speak and, I, and, I, and I'm grateful to them for their gift of their, that they're willing to give. And so what I got from the film was that, yeah, it's like, yeah, look, isn't this crazy? I mean, it's funny and we're so gullible and we want it and, and it's kind of sad and poignant and, and what yeah, was interesting, the end, wasn't it? You, tell, tell folks about the end because that was really... The end, well... No, I won't. I'll let them watch it. I'll put a link. Oh, yeah. I'd never tell people how it ends, Tim, so I'll keep that rule. But it's definitely worth... Um, it's one of the most worthwhile documentaries. For me, it dissolved the remnants of the guru myth because I still had in mind, well, there must be something special about these people. They must have some sort of magnetic quality because you can't attract that many followers thinking you're God incarnate without having some oh, sort do. of special they little bit. That, sort of that power, hmm? don't you think? They Sorry? do. They do have a power. But it's a power that almost anyone could have uh, themselves, right? They, they, it, it's a theatrical power. It comes from an act of theatre. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It might be. I also think that Vikram Gandhi, the guy, it couldn't have been just anyone. He was quite wise and maybe had good counselling skills, you could say. And that's where the effect came from, uh, transformatively. And it was, he also studied meditation in the lead up to it. Um but that, that's the other aspect to me. The, the um, More than just demolishing the guru myth, uh, which is what he set out to do, it, it was an incredible film about human potential and how yeah. anyone can potentially be a mirror for another person's soul and allow them to find themselves by giving them that space. That, see, that's, see, there's the idea of the sat guru, which is the teacher in everyone. And therefore, you find the sat guru. Like, I'm just hearing the sat guru and you there speaking. It's like, ah, that's telling me something. Yeah, that's right, really clear. And I think that's that's a lovely thing. That's like the Christ within or, you know, all of that idea. Beautiful thing. And you're right, it is theatrical. But also, you know, I'm thinking like Western gurus like um, uh, Andrew... Um, Cohen? Cohen and people like that where it's been, again, you know, disastrous for people. Um, smart guy really smart charismatic guy it did a lot of good dy dynamic you know made great things happen and also all the way through you know i could it always felt like whenever i interacted with it, it was like oh no um and yet also wonderful and 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 so i suspect with you know they're all like you know there's a, people people who play those incredible roles for people there i'm sure that it's the idea here here's the thing this is it it's the idea that there's a kind of linear journey where you kind of get there and then everything's right. Mm. Rather than there are people with real ability to play music and move. Van Morrison, there was a time he really moved me. I'd listen to Van Morrison play. Oh, my heart would open. Still true, actually. But from what I know about him, he's a grumpy old sod. <laughs> and that's fine. It's like, you know, that, you know, yes, he's divine. Put a guitar in his hand, let him sing, and God speaks through him. Uh, but probably meet him, you know, elsewhere, and you just think, oh, God, he's a difficult man. And there's loads of artists like that. But what we do with these spiritual figures is we go, they have the ability to reveal mm. the depth of the void. They have the, the ability to make to open up this transcendental space to us. And probably they do. 
and they probably are experiencing it themselves. It's not that I think people are lying, necessarily. It's that we assume, therefore, that somehow their other aspects of their soul, their personality, are somehow all perfected, and that is just not true. Mm. And I remember um, spending time with a, a young, uh, well, it wasn't that young, um, Western guy who had been very involved with Tibetan Buddhism from a young age, very, very, very involved with a lot of the very, very high lamas. And his perspective was, these guys are amazing and really messed up because they've got, they've been taken at very young age, given this incredibly strange education, which means they're so sophisticated at this level, but completely kind of messed up and, mm. and not right on this other personal level. So, and once you get that, you can go, oh, right, of course, yeah, that makes sense. We're all a bit like that in different ways. Again, the absolutism goes, and we can benefit from what, mm. where, where people have got that without losing ourselves to it. Well, thank you very much for all that, Tim. It was very interesting, <laughs> and I hope uh, enlightening. I think there's a lot of, a lot of good material for consideration there for... Um, Guruism going into the future. <laughs> um, next time, um, I'm going to be at Tim's writing a new book at the minute. Can you say what it's called? Um, well, it's provisionally called Soul Formation, The Meaning of Life and Death. It's a nice, um, lightweight title. Um, but that's, uh, that's what I'm working on. Okay, so I'm not going to ask Tim about that next time. I, no, I would at yet. some point. Uh, but next time, we thought it'd be interesting if I asked him about the process of how he goes through in creating a book. Um, I think he's written 25 books over or so over 20 years now. And from I'm interested to know, because I think like a lot of people, I try my hand at a bit of writing now and then. And, and sometimes I can get a few paragraphs out and sometimes I, I get very stuck in it. So I think it's it'll be interesting to to get Tim's perspective on what role this deeper consciousness plays in writing, what role it doesn't. So I'll be asking all about that. And if anyone has any questions they'd like me to put to Tim, just leave them in the comments section on this video. So, Tim, thank you very much, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Richard. It's been great. Bye.